0: Hi, my name is Brian. Welcome to the podcast, The Meek Will Inherit the Earth. When Jesus Christ began his public ministry, he announced that he had good news. The Kingdom of God is near. And if you read through the Gospel according to Matthew, you will see that he never stops talking about it. As Jesus explains it, the Kingdom of God is a new kind of human society. It is organized on different principles, and its members behave differently. It is good news because it is the world of peace and justice we say we want. However, the inescapable conclusion is it is a really big change. These new humans will be as different from Homo sapiens as Homo sapiens were from the Neanderthals and other hominins who preceded them. Okay, to understand Jesus' good news, let's start out with a few definitions. The word gospel is a Greek word that simply means good news. Because it is used so extensively throughout the New Testament, it has developed a distinctive meaning and association with Jesus. Regardless, when Jesus announces, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, turn and believe the good news, you can freely swap in the word gospel and good news into the sentence. The kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven as Matthew sometimes calls it, was a phrase with a very specific meaning to Jesus' Jewish audience. It meant there would be a new government. It would be a self-government, and it would be based on following the teachings in the Torah, like it was under King David, or Kings Josiah, or Hezekiah and by calling himself the Messiah and Son of God, it was clear that Jesus planned to be the king in this new kingdom. This terminology all sounds very supernatural to us, but its actual meaning was quite down to earth, having to do with who was in power and how the government would be run. I should add that although the meaning of kingdom of God was straightforward, People had a hard time understanding Jesus because he had a unique perspective on how he was going to take over the government. People expected him to raise an army and defeat the Romans and set up a new government like other revolutionaries. For example, Simon Bar-Giora was a key military leader in the Jewish revolt against Rome and was acclaimed by many as Messiah. Rome won the war in 70 AD, destroyed Jerusalem, and executed Simon. Simeon bar Koshava led another revolt against Rome 60 years later. He claimed to be Messiah, set up a kingdom of God, and was also defeated by Rome. And the Jewish historian Josephus tells us there were many other would-be Messiahs. The thing that really made Jesus unique and hard to understand was that he wanted to do it peacefully. That did not make sense to people, including his closest followers. The last term to comment on is the word turn, or as often translated, repent. Jesus was asking people to take action, he wasn't just telling them some interesting information to satisfy their curiosity. He wanted them to join his movement and change the way they were living. He believed he was offering the people an incredible opportunity, but it would require significant effort to change. Now that we have the basic definitions, let's dive into what Jesus' version of the kingdom of God is actually like. After announcing the good news of the kingdom, Jesus gives what we call his Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon takes up three chapters in Matthew. It is the teaching that Jesus gave to a crowd while he was standing on a hill near his home in the Galilee region. He starts off with a series of sayings telling us the truly blessed people are not who we think they are. According to Jesus, it is the poor in spirit who are blessed but we usually think of the rich and famous as being the lucky ones. Jesus said people are blessed if they are mistreated for doing the right thing. But we think of those who are persecuted by authorities as cursed, or we may say unlucky. Jesus said blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. This goes against our intuition as we expect the strong and technologically powerful to dominate the earth. He then sets out extremely high standards for behavior. For example, not only should you not murder, but you should not even insult someone else. Not only should you not commit adultery, but you should not even look at anyone lustfully. If someone hits you, you should turn the other cheek and let them hit you again. If someone sues you for something, give them double what they are asking for. You should love your neighbors and family, but you should also love your enemy. Giving to the needy, prayer and fasting are all good things, but be careful you are not doing it to create a good image for yourself. In that case, you are missing the point. Do not spend your time worrying about where you will get food or how you will pay your bills. Instead, live generously and depend on God for your sustenance. These teachings are very challenging, and frankly, they are dangerous. If someone hits you, you just let them hit you again? That is not safe. It risks significant injury to yourself. And what about holding the other person accountable for the assault? If someone sues you, you give them double what they are asking for? This isn't fair, and it will damage your attempt to provide for your family. And how does loving your enemies work when a foreign army invades? In this case, we think of it as treason. How is America or Canada supposed to defend its interests if they respond to their enemies with love instead of a strong show of force. These teachings are challenging, but we should remember that they are all part of Jesus' kingdom of God vision, which centers on overcoming evil with good. You may not agree that it works, but Jesus was 100% committed to it. And it was more than just a strategy for overcoming evil. To Jesus, this is what God is like, and this is what the new humanity, who is part of his kingdom of God, looks like. So we have talked about what the kingdom of God is, and what it is like, now it is important to understand how central it was to Jesus. As I prepared this podcast, I listened to another podcast by Tim Mackey, called Exploring My Strange Bible. Tim says announcing the arrival of God's kingdom was Jesus' greatest priority. For the most part, modern Western people have not truly heard what Jesus was trying to get across, and so the concept of God's kingdom is not familiar. End quote. I really agree with Tim on this point, and that is part of the reason I wanted to start my podcast here. If this is Jesus' greatest priority, We need to understand it if we want to understand him. Tim calls it ground zero for understanding Jesus and why you should follow him. I have left links to these episodes in the show notes if you want to hear more by Tim. Tim Mackey has a great combination of a deep knowledge of the Bible, a fun and easy to listen to presentation style, and a heart of compassion for his listeners. He calls himself a card-carrying Bible history and language nerd, and he really is. He really enjoys getting into the historical texts and digging out the meaning for us. And his excitement is contagious. I would like to share one more thought from Tim. Tim said that a better name for the Sermon on the Mount is The Good News of the Kingdom. After all, Matthew tells us that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom right before he gives us all this teaching and preaching. After all, the fact that Jesus is standing on a hill when he delivers this message is not the most important thing. He could have done it from a stage or a boat just as easily. The important thing is the content he is delivering, and the content is the key principles in the Kingdom of God. But let's not take Tim's word for it without taking a look for ourselves. To demonstrate how focused Jesus is on his Kingdom of God message, let's do a quick scan of the rest of the book of Matthew. After Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, he keeps on talking about it. In chapters 8 and 9, Jesus calls his disciples and performs a number of miracles that demonstrate the nature of his leadership. Or as Jesus might call it, the nature of his kingship. We will be coming back to a couple of these stories in later episodes, so I will skip over them for now. In chapter 10, Jesus commissions his disciples to go and preach the same kingdom of God message that he gave. In chapters 11 and 12, Jesus addresses several groups of people who misunderstand or reject his kingdom message. John the Baptist, the leaders in his home region of Galilee, the Pharisees, and even his own family. He also celebrates the positive response he has received from people outside the power structure, which he affectionately calls Little Children Because of the struggles he has with people misunderstanding, in chapter 13 he switches to telling parables. He tells six of them and they often start with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Each parable tries to capture some key aspect of his kingdom message. For example, the parable of the mustard seed explains how the kingdom of heaven starts out small and is easy to overlook, but when it grows up it will be large and undeniable. Chapters 14 and 15 center around stories about Jesus creating the inclusive kingdom of God. First he feeds 5,000 Jews, and later he does the same thing with 4,000 Gentiles. Given all the restrictions on eating together, these events were socially revolutionary. A word of warning. If you are not careful, you might come to the conclusion that Jesus is promoting a new individual ethical standard. But a closer reading shows he is always trying to create the new kind of society. That is why he uses the phrase kingdom of God. It is a social political entity. Whether it is the community he creates with his disciples or sharing a meal with these large crowds, the new society is always his focus. But as I mentioned before, he plans to build his kingdom without the use of coercion and violence. We, as well as his listeners back in the day, have a difficult time understanding this because such a community has never existed in any kind of scale. Maybe something like this isn't even possible, but Jesus sure thinks it is. In chapter 16, Jesus predicts his death for the first time. The spiritual leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and Sadducees, have rejected his kingdom of message. They are now plotting to kill him, and Jesus realizes this is only going to end one way. In chapters 18, 19, and 20, Jesus is back to teaching about the kingdom of heaven again. He covers who is the greatest in the kingdom, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the unmerciful servant, and the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And he teaches on forgiveness, divorce, children, and wealth. In chapters 21-25, to we have his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which kicks off his Passion Week. However, almost immediately Jesus is back to teaching on the Kingdom of Heaven, telling six parables and teaching on taxes and marriage. In the middle of this section, chapter 23 provides a lengthy discourse on the problems with Israel's leadership that led to their rejection of the kingdom message. And in chapter 24, Jesus answers his disciples' questions about when the temple will be destroyed and when his kingdom will come in its fullness. The last section of the Gospel according to Matthew, chapters 26, 27, and 28, tell the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. We will come back to this later, but I did want to comment on the Great Commission, which happens right at the end of the book. Jesus specifically commissions his closest followers to make disciples of all nations, getting everyone to follow all his teaching. In other words, his disciples are to remain as focused as he was on teaching the ways of the kingdom of God. And that's it for the Gospel according to Matthew. Hopefully this extremely quick scan helps you realize how focused Jesus was on his message about the kingdom of God. As Tim Mackey says, if we want to understand Jesus, this is Ground Zero. But a question that has often been asked is, does Jesus really mean for us to take him literally? Even if you are sympathetic to Jesus, it is tempting to dismiss his teaching because the change he is talking about is too difficult and too big. Surely he is exaggerating. Maybe he is projecting an ideal to inspire us, but it is mostly not applicable when it comes to the difficulties we face in the real world of challenging personal relationships, and running a government. I certainly agree that the change Jesus is asking us to make is very, very big. In fact, I would say if humanity actually lived the way Jesus describes, these new humans will be as different from Homo sapiens as Homo sapiens were from Neanderthals and Homo erectus. Here's what I mean by this. On one hand, Homo sapiens are not very different from Neanderthals. If you look at the biology or DNA, there are only small differences. In addition, both groups were very intelligent and proficient in their use of tools. On the other hand, when you look at how their societies are organized, the difference is enormous. Consider ancient Egyptian civilization or the British Empire or today's global community. There is nothing like that among other primates or in any prior version of the Homo genus. Neanderthals and Homo erectus didn't have religion or government or libraries or police or courts of law. Similarly, I expect little biological difference between the new humanity Jesus is talking about and current Homo sapiens. But the difference in the way society is organized will be enormous. Likely big enough that these new humans will be a genuinely new species. So, yes, Jesus is talking about a big change, but we have seen a similar kind of change before. If it happened once, maybe it can happen again. Although Christians don't usually talk this way and are likely uncomfortable with the language I am using, I don't think I am saying anything that isn't obvious. Firstly, in the kingdom of God described by Jesus, people relate to each other very differently than current Homo sapiens do. And I mean this both at the individual level, and at the corporate governance level. Secondly, from an evolutionary perspective, the difference between these new humans, if they ever come into existence, and Homo sapiens is similar to the difference between Homo sapiens and the hominins that preceded them. In both cases, there is only small differences in the biology and DNA, but there are profound differences in how intraspecies relationships work. We will get into more details on the emergence of Homo sapiens in a later episode, but for now it's enough to recognize these two points. I think it is helpful and important to explore the use of evolutionary language for the gospel. Jesus expressed his gospel in language that worked for his listeners, and we should do the same. You may not be convinced yet, but I hope you can keep an open mind. Who knows? Maybe you will come to see it as helpful. I would now like to address a common misunderstanding of the gospel. As noted earlier, even though what Jesus was saying was on one level profoundly simple, people had a very difficult time understanding him. So it shouldn't be surprising that people still find it difficult today. The misunderstanding I want to call out is making the gospel about Jesus' death and resurrection in a way that is divorced from the kingdom of God message that Jesus presents in Matthew. For example, if you go to the Bible.org website, they say, The central ingredient of the gospel message is a twofold confession. One, Christ died for our sins, and two, he was raised on the third day. To support their view, they reference 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul talks about the gospel with reference to Jesus' death and resurrection. The key point to note about the Bible.org's version of the gospel is that Jesus' message of the kingdom of God is completely absent. It is simply about confessing Jesus' death and resurrection, with no mention of the new ways of behaving and organizing society. And they seem to have the Apostle Paul backing them up. What is going on here? Is Paul's gospel different from the gospel that Jesus shares with us? In chapter after chapter in Matthew? A closer look at Paul's writing shows that his gospel is not different from Matthew. Paul is communicating the same ideas, but often uses different language. Paul's audience is less Jewish, so he doesn't use the term kingdom of God. They wouldn't really get it. Rather, Paul uses terms like new creation, second Adam, Children of God, Body of Christ, and the very straightforward, New Humanity. These terms and phrases all communicate the same good news about the upcoming changes in humanity. The reason Paul put it the way he does in this particular reference is that for him, and for other early Christians as well, the death and resurrection of Jesus were the defining moments for the New Humanity. These events showed us what the new humanity looked like. Jesus lived his teaching to the very end. Here is the human who truly loved his enemies, who did not resist violence, and did not compete to be the greatest. Secondly, these events resulted in the birth of the new humanity beyond the single person of Jesus. That is, they resulted in the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, being passed to his followers and the birth of the early church. The church is basically the same thing as the Kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about. It is intended to be the new humanity that organizes itself according to the Kingdom of God principles and does the same kinds of things that Jesus did. We obviously don't have time for an extensive study of Paul in this episode, I just wanted to explain why I think the Bible.org represents a misunderstanding of the gospel and get you thinking about it. Paul is not cancelling out the gospel of Matthew in his writings. Rather, he is saying the same thing with different language. Given how clear and extensive the book of Matthew is, it is surprising that a misunderstanding could even exist. We will talk more about why we are so prone to misunderstanding in the next episode, because of the potential for confusion, my approach for the rest of this podcast will be to talk about the gospel without reference to the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is how Jesus did it in the gospel of Matthew. He did not mention these events in the Sermon on the Mount or in his early parables. Only when it became clear that his kingdom message was not going to be received did Jesus start talking about his inevitable death? If Jesus can share the gospel without mention of his death and resurrection, then it is possible for us too. And that is what I plan to do with this podcast. Speaking of my plan, this podcast will consist of six episodes. Each episode will give further insight into Jesus' gospel and the vision of the meek inheriting the earth. In addition to this episode, I will have episodes on what it really means to be the light of the world, and the relationship between creation, salvation, and evolution, what it means to speak with authority, parallels between our upcoming evolutionary change and our previous one when we became Homo sapiens, and the last episode will be on how Jesus is the answer to climate change. Hopefully these episodes will illuminate the gospel for you in a new way. It is a truly powerful message for addressing humanity's problems, and I believe it is urgent that we really hear it. That is the high-level view of where we are headed. Let me close this episode by tying it back to Jesus' prediction that the meek will inherit the earth. Although I was familiar with this prediction growing up, I can't say I really understood it. But it has become more meaningful to me in recent years. I now see it as very closely tied to Jesus' good news about the kingdom of God. As Jesus explains in the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom of God starts small, but quietly grows, and one day is large and undeniable. So the kingdom is right here, right now, but in the future... It will be here in its fullness. It is this fullness of the kingdom that Jesus is referring to when he says, The meek will inherit the earth. Both phrases point to a post apocalyptic world in which Homo sapiens have gone extinct and the new humans who live according to the principles that Jesus described populate the earth along with the animals. This is really good news. And in case you weren't aware, you are invited to join this movement. We will talk more about the opportunity for joining in later episodes. Let me give a quick summary of this episode. Jesus' main message was his good news that the kingdom of God was near. By this he meant the emergence of a new humanity who behaves differently and organizes their society differently. To help people understand his good news, Jesus explained it directly in his Sermon on the Mount and also told parables about it. In addition, the Gospel according to Matthew provides stories of Jesus correcting people who misunderstood him. Jesus said things about God and the afterlife as well, but his main focus, chapter after chapter, was on humanity here on earth. When Jesus launched his public ministry, he preached his gospel without mentioning his death and resurrection. I will be following a similar approach in this podcast. The inescapable conclusion from listening to Jesus is that he is talking about a very big change. If humans are actually able to fully implement his teaching someday, as he predicted, they will be as different from Homo sapiens as Homo sapiens were from Neanderthals and Homo erectus. Because the scale of the change is similar, it will likely be appropriate to call them a new species. Jesus invited his listeners to join his movement and you are invited too. But it isn't easy. It will require you to turn from Homo sapien ways of doing things and learn the new patterns of behaving that Jesus described. In the next episode, we will ask the question, Is the gospel that Jesus announced observable? Or is the revelation of Jesus something that comes from the supernatural realm and our only choice is to accept it or not based on blind faith? We will conclude that the gospel is in fact observable. In fact, this is what Jesus means when he claims to be the light of the world. He is just turning on the lights and helping us see things things that we were unable to see because of a condition he calls spiritual blindness please tune in for the next episode